Welcome to the Operation Restored Warrior Podcast. We are first of all veterans helping veterans find healing and restoration through the power of Jesus. Join us as we share stories of what Jesus is doing for our nation's warriors, as we share tools and resources to empower you to a deeper relationship with Jesus, and as we introduce you to our amazing partners that are advancing the kingdom of God across the globe. And now, let's get to the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Operation Restored Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, David Boddy, and it is a pleasure today to be joined by Jimmy Watson. Jimmy, how's it going, man? Hey, I'm doing very, very well. It's an honor to be on here. Anything for Operation Restored Warrior, that's my motto, anything. Anything. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. All right. (laughs) Yeah, just glad you could join us, and certainly you have an amazing story, and uh, just to begin with, love to hear kind of what what was your growing up like? And for those of you who don't know, I guess audience, he was a Navy SEAL is where he ended up. What was your path getting into the SEAL teams? Sure. You know, for brevity, uh, for brevity purposes, you know, I was a little boy. I had a childhood dream. Okay. But I just didn't have what it took or I thought I didn't have what it took. And I had the wild heart like most of us warriors do as children, okay? My parents didn't know what to do with me because I was rambunctious. I was wild. They tried to keep me in school. They sent me around from different places to different places. What's wrong with little Jimmy? You know, because all he wants to do is go to war. All he wants to do is go fight a battle. All he wants to do is play for He can't sit still in school. And that was the problem. That was a pretty, that's a pretty yeah. big problem when, when you're a kid and you have a childhood dream to go serve your country. I can remember from the time I was little, uh, David, thinking, you know, I had such a blessed childhood. And when I mean blessed, I was on a dirt old farm, but I felt so uh, like I like I owed. I, it's like I had this sense of understanding there was something divine and there was a divine purpose in my mm. life. And I wanted to give back to God what he gave me. And that was a peaceful childhood. But little did I know I was going to have a pretty wild life and a wild roller coaster ahead of me in life. But I wanted to serve in some capacity yeah. in the military. Did Did you have relatives that were military growing up when you were growing up? You know, I there probably every single male in the Watson family had served in some capacity. It wasn't like Lieutenant yeah. Dan and his and his dad and his grandpa <laughs> dying in Fort Trump, like boom, boom, boom. But they all right. served in the Navy, uh, in the Merchant Marines when like half the ships were getting blown up to smithereens. And so I had a, a an understanding of uh, that all the males in my family, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, served in some kind of capacity. If I remember correctly, you joined the Marines initially. Did you have relatives that were Marines then? Was that part of what made you want to be a Marine or just just a fight? <laughs> just a fight. I, I understood from the time <laughs> I was little that I didn't have what it took to be a SEAL. I understood. I was a realist. Mm. I, I trained as hard as I could. Mm. My parents took me out of school when I was 14. I was too wild for school. So I trained real hard. I knew what I wanted. But I remember training for like a year or two. Look, when I was in when when I was in school, David, my parents said, "Will you just play Jimmy's?" They went to the coach, 
And they said, Coach, mm-hmm. will you just play little Jimmy on the football team one time? And I'll never forget what they said. Nobody forgets this kind of stuff. The coach said, if I was to play Jimmy, I would be fired from the school. That's how unathletic and bad he is. But I had the, I knew in my heart I was supposed to be a SEAL or a Green Beret or something, mm. you know. But I understood that it was yeah. going to be a long road of physical maturity and, and aptitude. And basically, mm. I started from nothing. And my whole model on my social wow. media platform is if I can do it, if this guy can do it, then anyone can do it. If God places something in your heart, you better never, ever, ever. And I almost get teared up mm. saying this already on your show. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. But I, I never, <laughs> ever, good. ever, ever believe what other people say when God places something mm. in your heart. Amen. That's the truth. What he says is truth. All the rest is lies. That's right. That's exactly right. Absolutely. So when you join the military, I'm I'm assuming when you were, I mean, you've been looking forward to this your whole life. You go to boot camp. You you must've just been in heaven. Yeah. Well, you know, I I was prepared for anything. I I had no idea that I knew it was going to be bad. I watched Full Metal Jacket. I watched all the movies. So, so when I went to Marine Corps boot camp in MCRD, I'm standing there. They literally are yelling at us as loud as you possibly can. I mean, it was the loudest I've ever heard anybody yell, these three guys, the drill instructors. They're running around kicking everything, and I go, well, there's two things here. There's no way they're going to touch me physically, and then there's no way that they can continue this for three months straight, solid. Well, two things happened within about five minutes. They said, who's the youngest uh, recruit here? I raised my hand. I was 17. I basically was signing up the day I turned mm. 17. My parents had to sign me in. I raised my hand. Right. They came over there and kicked me in my chest, and I went across the, the locker, the, med, the, med, the our, our whiskey locker. I can't remember, the foot locker. I, I flipped over it. Mm-hmm. And then the, the second thing is they yelled at us for three months. I mean, from the day one to the, to the end, screamed at us. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the very thing that you're thinking won't happen. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But still, I mean, it had to be, it had to feel good to be finally moving forward and, and accomplishing those things. I'm sure when you graduated boot camp and you're a Marine, that had to be a really powerful moment for you. Oh, I thought I could eat, chew nails and swallow them, you know, at the same time. And, and I thought I was one bad dude and I was a buck 40. Mm-hmm. You know, six foot one almost and in a buck forty. So I I I had a lot of growing up to do. Uh and I thought, you know, you yeah. just go through three months and now you're the baddest dude on the planet, Marine, you know, like on the right. commercials. Right. I had so much growing up to do, Dave, it's not even funny. Yeah. Yeah. So how long were you in the Marine Corps? I was in the Marine Corps uh, for four years inactive and four years in the reserves. And uh, that time was during war, but I actually went on to Blackwater. And so, so um, I, I, like I said, I always wanted to join the SEALs. And the dream was all, always there lingering around, but I knew that it wasn't time yet. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how frustrating that is to, to I'm sure you know, to, to have a dream sitting there lingering in front of you. But it's like, and mm-hmm. you know that you're going to do it somehow, some way, but but it's so right. hard. It seems so impossible to get there. 
but it's always in front of you. And when I got out and I got out of the Marines, basically because I knew that I wanted to be a SEAL. So there was no reason for me to stay in the Marines, you know. Now, you were so convinced that you didn't have what it would take to be a SEAL. And that's all just strictly based off of what people had spoken over you throughout your life. Is that literally just the one? Yeah, people spoke it over me my whole life. The coaches said I was the most athletic. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the teachers were saying Jimmy is, is, you know, a terrible student. It was true because I, I had no, I, I had no ability to stay focused at the time. I just would look out the window and just, just pray to God that the, the, the hour would close on the school so I could go play outside. I, I excelled playing my little mm-hmm. war games, but I just, I just didn't understand right. the meaning of school until years later, I got a university degree, all that in, in the seals, but but it was a long road, and, and I just was um, – I was confused because I knew that my, my heart's desire was to be a SEAL. I was just very impatient growing up. So when you transitioned to Blackwater, yeah. um, you were in Blackwater kind of as things were getting a little little topsy-turvy over there, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I joined Blackwater when it was pretty hard to get in. It was right when the four guys, unfortunately, got burned alive on the, on the bridge in Fallujah. It was a very tumultuous time. My instructors for Blackwater were all part of the Karzai detail. They were pretty hard dudes. They were coming in. Wow. It was a vetting process. There was no learning curve. They were like, take this AK-47, mm-hmm. put it together, shoot uh, shoot a 200 score on the range. If you don't, you're out. The angel of death, they called him, came in and, and lit, call off your name and you leave. I left straight from Blackwater compound in Wyoming, North Carolina, straight from there to the airport to Baghdad. Uh, me, wow. uh, I landed with another guy. Uh, the, when I showed up, uh, this guy and me, uh, the the senior guy that was there, said, "You, you're going to Mosul, and you." He pointed at me. You're staying in Baghdad. I stayed in Baghdad for the next four years. It was my permanent mailing address. And um, hmm. the guy, though, that they picked to go to Mosul the next day was blown out of an SUV, and he actually had a tattoo that said "Cut here." with a, a pair of scissors, a tattoo that hit, and he actually was hit by a piece of shrapnel, uh, and he had to get a tracheotomy. He had to get medevac out of there. He actually was able wow. to fight off the enemy that were storming their vehicle after the explosion. Unfortunately, it killed four Blackwater guys, but they he was the new wow. guy, the trunk monkey, they called him, threw him in the back. He mm-hmm. was blown out the rear. Uh, you know, Before the armored trucks, we had these cages, these metal welded cages mm-hmm. that tied the, the the soft skin of the SUV that we were using. This was back in 04 and 05. Right. And, you know, and, and it was a really dangerous place. You know, if you got a shoot, um, mm-hmm. you just rode it on the back of a military uh, MRE car and turned it in. Uh, it was the wild, wild west, man. The first time we went out, yeah. uh, a sniper round hit the, the window of the, the Hummer that I was in. Uh, the driver was driving a Humvee. We, they had, we had some Humvees, too. And I busted the window. He was mm-hmm. smoking a cigarette like it never, like it didn't even phase him. And that was right going out the the, the green zone gate uh, into the red zone. It was crazy. So you did that for four years. You were just pretty oh, much yeah. right there in Baghdad. And it, is that part of what really kept inspiring you to then want to become a SEAL? Were you bumping into SEALs while you were over there? Yeah, b- bumping into SEALs, seeing SEALs, you know, um, uh, during my time in the Marines, you know, the Marine Corps, 9 11 happened. I, I was in before 9 11, but I knew I was going to war. When 9 11 happened, it was like a dream came true, but in the wrong sense. I, I just wanted to go fight for my country. 
I go to Afghanistan. I see these seals with these bandanas in Afghanistan, south of Kandahar, rolling around these cool vehicles and stuff with a vintage cow, you know, looking like Charlie Sheen up there in those 1990 movies. And I was oh, like, yeah. man, this is what I want to do. <laughs> and so uh, as the as the dream continued to come closer, though, I was eventually hit in Baghdad. I was a team leader there. I was actually the team leader of a, of a famous event there. Unfortunately, it went crazy array. But um, ended up getting hit by a grenade, playing kind of grenade tennis back and forth in Baghdad. Ended up getting uh, having to uh, fly back home, uh, recover there. And that's when I decided in 2007, late 2007, early 2008, that I was going to mm-hmm. go with all my heart to, to do the SEALs. Because that window of opportunity in your life, you know, that dream starts to come at you, come at you. And then it starts to pass you by like this. Right. And if you don't catch that dream, if you don't go through that door, it will pass by. So what was that like getting in? Um, obviously, the process, did you get recycled a bunch or were you able to cruise through? How did that go for you? In the SEALs, um, I, I, I started out with my class 282 and then I was rolled. I made it through first phase through Hell Week, broke my foot, went into second phase, um, made some some comments to the instructor that he didn't like. He, we had a kind of a personal vendetta and, uh, you know, cause you know, they, they like you to joke around, but if you say something personal, it, it doesn't go over well. I played the, I, I basically yeah. said the place was a, a, a terrible place in other words, you know, in some other words. And, uh, <laughs> yes. he didn't like that, but the other instructors laughed sure. and said, well, it is that what he called it. It is that place, the S word. <laughs> and so, so it didn't go well for me. Uh, but the other instructors liked me. Uh, but I did get rolled in that phase. And so a uh, second mm-hmm. phase finished, uh, finished the entire process with my second class two, eight, three. Okay. Awesome. Were there, were there a lot of moments as you're going through where, where you really had to battle this idea that you didn't have what it takes and you had to really push through that? Or were you pretty dead set at that point? You know, I, I, I hear, I've heard still say, man, I would go do it again. Or this and this, and I'm like bull crap. Look, no one. You the thing is, is you wouldn't. You may not make it again uh, because you're standing right. on shoulders when you go through, and you're standing standing on shoulders of giants. And I and the same guys that have said that before in my in in front of me are the same guys that I saw crying under a log for three hours. <laughs> you know, and, and so and my point is, is I was crying too. We all were. And so there's yeah. not very many moments going through SEAL training that you're not thinking about quitting. It's just the psychological thing. That's it's you're thinking about quitting all the time. Like all the time. You're like, this is stupid. I how it how how did I how did I why am I here? It's so dumb for me to continue <laughs> on because it's a volunteer thing. That's what's so bad is they give you an offer. Right. Right. The Marines, you ain't got an option. Yeah, I volunteered to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the SEALs, that we, they say, or we say, you know, you're doing it to yourself. You're doing it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not making you be here. You're doing it to yourself. And really, we're doing it to ourselves. True. That's that's awesome, man. So you finally achieved your dream. I mean, that had to be a, quite the moment when you finally got that trident. It was epic, you know. But, but very, very soon I realized, David, that I was not a SEAL. You know, just because my mom and dad thought I was a seal, just because my significant other or girlfriend thought I was and all my little buddies back home, that didn't mean anything. Because even after two years, you get mm. your trident, you better not show up to the command wearing that thing because you're you're not a seal. And 
you 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 technically are on paper, but considering you know going into a unit uh, with a bunch of hardcore lions that have been there for six years, eight years, you know you're just not you haven't reached you haven't done anything but prove that you could take a beating at that point. So what what team did you end up at? I went to I went to SDV one. I chose I chose the water side. We had a couple guys come in our class at the last minute. I don't know why I volunteered for this. Mm-hmm. It's an all volunteer unit. They said, uh, they said, uh, you know, when this is their, their scam, right? Hey, Cause they, they wanted people to replace it. They're like, listen, you're going to get injured 100%. There's a possibility you're going to die. What you do, you can never talk about who wants to go. I was like me, you know, cause it's our natural. It just, <laughs> for some reason, when you tell a young man yeah. that they, it doesn't deter mm-hmm. you. It makes you, it ma- those kind of statements magnetize a warrior they magnetize you they don't deter right. you you're gonna die 100 it's like no me you know and so i volunteered yeah. for that i had done the land side with blackwater for years in the marines mm-hmm. and, and so i was like i want to mm-hmm. do this because it's a means to get to the location is basically the little subs and so i went to sdv one right can't go back go can't go into the details of it but it was a very exciting time I mean, are there any kind of kind of cool stories you can share from that time at all? Just at least without some of the details. <laughs> the field, they're, they're national testing. So, but the thing is, this the only cool story I can share about SDV is when I showed up. I showed up there. There was a guy. He later passed away, unfortunately. Matt Leathers um, out there mm-hmm. at sea. We never found his body. It was the largest manhunt for him, uh, search for him since Eddie Eddie would go in, in Hawaii. Well, the thing mm-hmm. is, this he walked by. I thought it was a homeless man when he walked by. He was, this is at our command as new guys. He has scraggly long hair. He had a big dip in, beard. And he stopped and he said, hey, you. He had flip-flops on. And this is in the command, like the nice hallway. He goes, you guys want to know? It's like he came straight from Davy Jones' locker, you know? He said, hey, he goes, y'all want to know what it's like to be underwater in that SDV, in the black coffin, in the Widowmaker? And we're like, mm-hmm. And he's like, listen up. <laughs> he's like, the only important thing in this world and we're like, just me and three, three other, there's only three volunteer guys, three or four. And we're like, go like this. And he's like, the only thing that matters, the only thing in this world that matters when you're under the water column at night in the dark, abysmal depths of the ocean, you can't even see your hand. You can't even feel anything. You're numb. You're in like a coffin, the black coffin. It's so tiny back there. You can't, even, I can't talk much about it, but it's, you can barely, you can't even move back there. And there are big guys back there. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, the only thing that matters in this life is time. And we're like, okay, time, time, time. Yes. He goes, the only thing that matters is what time it is. Because if you can tell what time it is, then, and only then, do you know how long you have left in the dive? And he says, do you want to know how to tell time? And we're like, mm-hmm. he says, because you may have a watch on but how are you going to see it in the pitch black, abysmal David Joe's locker? We're like, I don't know. He's like, listen, this is how you tell Tom. Because you can't even lift your arm up because it's numb. It's caught between your buddy in a in a gun, a carbine, you know, and, and you're shaking. I mean, you're literally shaking the entire time. You're like, Argh! it just pushes you to the max of your limits. He said, the only way, mm-hmm. way to tell Tom, he goes, is this. He goes, right when you think that you are about to panic, Bolt out of the sub and kill your buddy in the process. Rip out your regulator and bolt to the surface and rip off the hatch of the of the sub and shoot to the surface. He said, at that very moment, 
when you do not think that you can take one more second, he said, that is halfway, the halfway mark. Hmm. And me and these guys are like this. Wow. Well, we're dead. I said, Dude, let's get out of here. <laughs> are you kidding? And, and he was right. And it, and it just goes to show you in life that no matter how miserable you are, no matter how bad it is, no matter you're, you're at the brink of just mm-hmm. absolutely self-destruct, you know, Mission Impossible, that's about halfway. And that, that was the story of SDB. Mm. That's about as much as I could say there. That's incredible. I, I have a lot of respect. I mean, I'm not very amphibious myself. I can swim just fine, but I'm, I'm not excellent at it. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I used to have, I would say, literally a phobia of dark water. So the idea of, of doing that takes a lot of courage. Yeah. And uh, certainly there's, there's just a lot of things that are even out of your control to some degree when you're doing that, I'm, I'm sure. Absolutely. So when you were during your time with with Marine Corps and with Blackwater and then kind of in that in that time period, are there any like significant missions that stand out in your mind that were either really impactful for you? Yeah, you know, I would say this is, you know, we used to do eight runs in the in the red zone a day in, in, in with the red cell that I was in. It was a counter assault team. And my biggest thing that I like to tell people is this is don't ever deny that little voice in your head that tells you to do something. When it's ethical and moral and it, and it doesn't make sense, it improves you. Not tell, not the one that tells you to go to the bar and go drink. Not the one that tells you to go do drugs. Not the one that tells you to run from something, run from all your problems. The voice that tells you to clean your weapon, perhaps. I walked in my, my Baghdad room. Uh, it was hot. It was like 140 degrees. It feels like you have to sip your water like coffee, okay? If you haven't tried coffee, get the ORW coffee. This is not an advertisement. That's not a plug, okay? But, <laughs> so, so, but the, well done. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Don't, please pay me a commission or something, okay? No, I'm just kidding. But, no, but, the, but Operation Restore Warrior Coffee is the best. But here's the deal. So I'm in Baghdad, Iraq. I walk in the room. I got this 240 machine gun. It's dirty. It's nasty. We're doing eight runs a day. I know my conscience is telling me, something's telling me, you better clean that machine gun. You better clean that M240 golf uh, uh, machine gun. And I'm going, no, leave me alone. I'm not going to go clean this. I'm off tomorrow. What could possibly happen tomorrow? I am off. I know another team's Mm -hmm. got it. There is no way in this world, in our fleshly mind, in logic, that I'll need to do Mm -hmm. this. But the voice, David, the voice continues to tell me to clean the machine gun. I got to walk like an hour away, put it in this big chemical vat. You know, cleaning that dang 240 golf is no joke. It's so messy. Oh, yeah. But I, I decide eventually I can't even lay down because this voice keeps on telling me. I grab the dang machine gun. I walk the hour away. Everybody's going, you're stupid, bro. What are you doing, tornado? What are you doing, big big hoss, big tornado? I can't remember what they call it, tornado. And, and I'm like, listen, listen, I'm going to clean this weapon. You're off tomorrow, bro. Come drink with us. I said, man, I just got to go clean this weapon. I don't know why. I go and clean it for like two, three hours, right? Okay, I'm cleaning this weapon for an hour or two. I got the headphones in. I'm sweating all over. I'm like, this is stupid, but I'm doing it. I don't know why. Maybe I'll sleep better. I clean it all up. The very next day, David, there is no way in this world that we're going out. Look, the old Texas tornado used to get blasted, wasted in in, in, in Baghdad, too. I woke up. I looked like a blue smurf. Mm-hmm. I had been drinking all night after I cleaned this weapon, though. Okay? But the weapon was clean. And the very next day, mm-hmm. We happen to get called out because the tertiary, the last ditch effort team 
was up doing something up north in Baghdad. We get called out. Mm-hmm. I'm so hungover, I can barely see straight. But I'm the tour gun, the lead tour gun. I beg, I I got that 240. I forget that I cleaned it the, the day prior. There's oil coming out, CLP. It's a dichotomous situation because if you don't put oil in it, it doesn't. The machine doesn't run properly. If you put oil in it, now it collects all the dirt and grease. Well, yep. <laughs> we rush to the scene. There's an Army National Guard team in desperate trouble. When when we mm. when we come up on the scene. There, there's insurgents walking up on them execution style. I lined them up with the weapon, and I think you know what happens next. I squeeze the trigger, about a 200-round burst. Hey, none of this six to round, eight-round burst when, you're, when your <laughs> life is in jeopardy, right? I'll never forget the machine gun. When it went off, there was a, a, a white smoke and blue flame that came out at like six feet. And I'll never forget the feeling of going, oh, my gosh. Because this thing was so dirty when I washed it that I guarantee you something was going to happen bad because it always does in firefights. We saved the day. Yep. Our team, by the grace of God, got there. These, this Army uh, this army National Guard team bought us a beer for the next two or three months because of our actions that day. Because those insurgents had no mm. idea that we were coming from the side like that. And they got hit so hard, and right, rightfully so, because they were walking up on them to either execute them or or take them down. It was a big firefight. We needed the rounds. We needed the machine guns and everything else. And I'll never forget coming back from that, brother, and remembering the feeling of, man, if I wanted to listen to that little voice. And so I yep. learned such a valuable lesson from that. Life or death situation sometimes. Listen to that little voice mm-hmm. here in, in, that's inside you. Yeah. It's pretty incredible looking back now when you can see those moments where Jesus was speaking he was there he was guiding things and and in the moment you may have thought it was strange but you didn't really understand what was going on and now you can look back and say wow Jesus was right there with me walking me through giving me those little those little words little that little still st- small voice that ultimately saved your life saved a lot of other lives in the process i had david i had a prayer warrior family and i went off the straight path mm. you know I believed God was real and I believed in Jesus, but I went off on a dark road on my own. But that doesn't mean that Jesus gives up on you. Just because mm-hmm. you give up doesn't mean that Jesus has given up on you. And and I look back at my life yeah. and I and I remember that little voice. That's that's Jesus telling you things. That's mm-hmm. God. That's God. That's Yahweh, Yeshua telling you directly in your head, in your heart, to you, you know, turn the other way, do this, do this. And uh Man, if it wasn't for his grace and mercy, David, you would I would I'm a walking talking testimony by the grace of God alive yeah. today. And so all these years going through all these experiences left you in a pretty pretty rough shape by the time you came to your drop zone. I was walking talking dead man. You know, here's the facts, you know, you know, if I was to PG-13 my testimony, it would do nobody nobody wrong right. You know, it would just be the biggest wrong thing that I could ever do. A lot of times people say, man, you're so bold with your testimony and you don't hold anything back. I mean, sometimes it's like, ah, cringe. Mm -hmm. But I would be doing the biggest disservice to Jesus Christ because I told him, I said, man, I hope I can get through this day without crying. I said, man, I said, Jesus, the the day I went to Operation Restore Warrior, I, I remember walking down that beautiful road there in Baltimore 
And and uh, I, I thought, man, I don't want to go to Baltimore, but I'm telling you, when you're walking dead, man, you ain't got no options left. You don't have a, a, a chance in this life if you don't take those those the Jesus calling you right now. And I believe he's calling people right now through our voice or this message. And I'll tell you what, I said, Jesus, yeah. if you save me, if you save a wretched man like this, I was I was facing 15 years in prison. I was on house arrest when I went to Operation Restore Warrior. I was in solitary confinement in Texas Federal Penitentiary, okay? And 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 I got the opportunity to go uh, to go to Operation Restore Warrior. I have R2D2 basically on my ankle, you know, on you know this big mm-hmm. device. I go to Operation Restore yeah. Warrior. It's embarrassing, right? I'm walking down this road. I said, Jesus, I said if you can save mm-hmm. this wretched man, then I'll testify to what you did for to me. For the rest of my life, whether that be to one person or a million people, the very next day, look, Jesus came through in Operation Restore Warrior and literally met me, literally changed my life forever, literally healed me physically, my, my knee and my, my left shoulder, and then literally spoke yep. to me at Operation Restore Warrior, literally spoke to mm-hmm. this guy, this wretched man. And I thought, brother, if there was... If there was anybody that ever did not uh, did not deserve it, it's me. Mm. But he saved he saved me, and uh, and because he saved me, uh, Jesus told me that I would be exonerated, my case would be dismissed, and I would be cleared of all wrongdoing. At the time, this was an impossibility. Uh, mm-hmm. My lawyer said this was a one in one thousand chance. I wrote it down. I looked at it when I got home. My lawyer calls me relatively shortly after I get home and and says, Jimmy, I, I can't, I don't know that, how to how to tell you this, but your case is being dismissed. You're getting off. They they I cut the ankle bracelet off uh, uh very recently. And ever since then he's used my platform and social media to do exactly what he said he would do, and that's to expand his kingdom through my experiences yes. and through him saving me. And there's no excuse when you wow. look at a guy like me. You can't deny that this is not real. Either I'm crazy and I believe what I'm saying about my own stuff or Jesus really did this. You know, and if it was Buddha that did, did this, I'd be screaming Absolutely. at Buddha from the top of the house. But it wasn't. It was Yeshua, Jesus, that did this at Operation Restore Warrior. Man, so awesome to hear. Yeah. Just just incredible. His heart in how how he pursues us and he continues to pursue, like you said, even... Even when we're walking away, he's still there. I mean, the prodigal, the prodigal son story is so beautiful. I think the thing that I love the most about it is that the father, he isn't just, hey, I'll forgive you. He's literally looking for him every day. He's looking out on the horizon and he sees him and he recognizes his gate. He's like, that's him. And he runs out there to meet him. And it's just, it's right. There's no difference in his status before and after. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of the father and how, how he pursues each one of us. And it's so so cool. Every time I hear your story, just amazing what he's done for you. Nothing is the same after we meet Jesus in that kind of a real impactful way. Nothing is the same. You know, how mm-hmm. in the world do we know what peace is? If we do, have we never experienced real peace? The only yeah. piece that I really ever had to to compare it to was maybe going to get ice cream with my mom when I was little or something. 
Mm-hmm. But when you experience the real peace and the real chain-breaking power of Jesus Christ in your life, then there's then then you realize, oh, this is what those crazy dudes are talking about when they talk about <laughs> yeah. Jesus and stuff. You know? Yeah. And and because that that was me. That and that's me. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that you've been doing since your drop zone to kind of, because a lot of times a drop zone can be kind of a, a mountaintop experience. You come back down into, you know, regular life, the grind, and then it's like, whew, how do I, you know, walk this out and maintain this? What are some of the things that have really helped right. for you walking this out? Right. The, the Bible says, seek, seek the, the kingdom first and all these things will be added. I think a lot of people sometimes... And rightfully so, it's okay. They they t- they interpret this as seek me first in kind of a selfish way, like seek just me and you, Jesus. Um, well, the way I saw it was this, David, is that I met Jesus met me at Operation Restore Warrior. The work is finished at that point with me. So it would be the most ridiculously selfish thing in the world for me to get my healing and then keep it all bundled up inside to hide the light underneath the mm-hmm. bed, so to speak. Jesus told me I'd be a lighthouse unto his people when I was there. So when I came home, I took that literally. What does a lighthouse do? Well, it stands on the fringes of society, you know, on skid row of society, and it shines its light as bright as it can because it has to save the, 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 uh, Jesus saves through that light to his lost ships in the night. So I was a sinking ship in the night. I was saved. And now that's what I do now. The thing is this is one is to stay anchored in. And when I say stay anchored in, Operation Restore Warrior gave this prayer to us when we were leaving. I do this prayer uh, a, a lot of times in the morning. But the number one thing is to commune with God daily. Sun Tzu, the Chinese warrior mm-hmm. general, who probably didn't believe in God, he said, ere the battle is won in the general's temple, meaning you better get in a mm-hmm. chair in the morning, sit there silent, and wait. Nobody's too busy. No one. Their day is not too busy to get the the uh, the command from the general, right? And so I wait for the command. Right. Sometimes when I don't hear anything, it's not that that's not what matters. What mattered is is that I sit there and commune with God. If I don't do this, my day mm-hmm. is shot, it's weird, it's discombobulated. Yes. So that's what I've done, David, to stay in 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 into. It's to stay free. It's one thing to be set free. And that's what you're talking about is to you get mm-hmm. you get back from operation, you're on restore warrior on fire. The the number the one and two things is this is I commune daily. I try to. And number two mm-hmm. is to share that testimony with someone else. That's the key to, to remaining yeah. free. Something about it keeps a fire ignited in you. Is when right. you share, you help others. Sharing and helping right. others is key. When you put yourself out there and you share what Jesus has done. Now that's, that's, it's a level of accountability. People are watching and going, okay. And so it can kind of help keep you fired up because number one, you're sharing your story, which sharing your testimony alone is empowering and encouraging. Just like remembering what Jesus has done that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It says in Revelation, yes, there's, there's the power of the word of their testimony, but then also that that sharing and then ob- obviously community as you begin to build that community there's the accountability and the support that comes i mean so many guys that were in the military they they go to a drop zone and one of the things first things they say when they show up is like man i forgot how nice it is to just be around a bunch of like-minded guys 
you know, the shared military language, stuff like that. Yes. They forget what it's like to have that camaraderie. And so then to be a part of this brotherhood moving forward, forward and, and, and have these guys shared language, not only from the military, but also from ORW to then just walk in that and stand in that is incredible. So it's, it's awesome what you're doing too. I, I love the, the platform that you have. If people wanted to connect with you on social media or follow you, how would they do that? And what are, what are you doing over there on social media? Yeah, I really appreciate you asking me that. It's great to be able to share this, um, the love and stuff. Uh, basically, my, my, number one TikTok, uh, my number one platform is TikTok. I do YouTube and everything else. But you can find everything through my channel on TikTok. It's um, at Mighty Warrior 2022. So the year 2022. So at Mighty Warrior 2022, and you can find a, just a grip of experiences and stories and hope and inspiration and humor. You know, one thing, David, that 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 I when I got back from Operation Restore Warrior, I said, Jesus, what do I do now? And I literally got a picture of a clock in my in my head, and I knew that meant TikTok. Oh wow! You know, in the seals, you're not mm-hmm. supposed to have social media stuff, so I hadn't really tried much before. Right. But I knew that that was what I was supposed to do and then win. Okay. So at about a week later, I started TikTok. You know, it's up to um, almost a half a million people right now. Uh, awesome, mighty warrior nation there. And really, really, it's, it's what you said. By the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb, they overcame, mm-hmm. you know, evil. They overcame yeah. their obstacles. And that's what it is. So I appreciate mm-hmm. anybody going there. and you can, you can check it out. And then also, just for our listeners, go to our YouTube channel, the Operation Restored Warrior YouTube channel, and you'll see a video there that is uh, Jimmy, but then also uh, Bill, who's one of our team, team members, and Shannon Scaff as well. It's an incredible video of these three guys just sharing their story. Really well done. And so that's another way to kind of get a, another little glimpse of the story. And so go check it out. Make sure you're subscribed. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Jimmy. I really appreciate you coming on. We could probably talk for hours about not only yeah. your stories in, in service, but also just yeah. what Jesus is, is done for you and is doing through you. And I look forward to having you on again in the future too, to, to kind of catch up. Man, I really appreciate you. I, I never try to, um, I, I, I don't usually uh, get off without saying thank you to Paul, the, the founder of Operation Restore Warrior, David, and, mm-hmm. and Jared, Daniel, uh, everybody, man, that that's there. I just Shannon, all those guys, man. I just can't even tell you the compassionate, the compassion of Jesus. I call it the strategic compassion of Jesus to <laughs> to allow me to meet Absolutely. all you guys. It's been wonderful. Absolutely, our our pleasure, our honor, truly. And so, for those of you out there, thanks again for joining us. Make sure you're following us on whatever your podcast platform is. Like and subscribe. Leave us a rating review if you love it. And until next time, stay dangerous. Well, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Operation Restored Warrior Podcast. I want to remind you to go check out our website at www.operationrestoredwarrior.org. When you get to the home page, you're going to see two tabs. One says, I'm a veteran. That's where you want to click if you want to apply to attend one of our life-changing drop zones. The other tab says, support. And this is where, if you believe in the mission of ORW and you want to continue to see lives changed by Jesus, 
Click here and you'll find ways to partner with us as we continue this mission. Thanks again. And until next time, stay dangerous. Stay dangerous.